Hey friends, it's me, uh, Dustin. I'm the producer of this podcast, and I just wanted to jump on here and apologize for the technical difficulties that we had in this episode. We had audio and video uh, issues. You'll see those probably throughout a couple of times. Uh, about halfway through, about nine minutes in, the audio gets significantly better. Uh, we promise that we'll do better next time, but we thought this was a valuable uh, podcast to put out and not just scratch. So hope you enjoy it, and uh, we'll do better next time. Well, I want to start today. Or hi, Danny. Hi. <laughs> I'm pretty like ready to get started. I okay. Get that <laughs> um. So I'm gonna read like a little quick Twitter thread that I posted. Sure. It's pretty short, and then something a pastor responded, and I'm interested in us like dealing with his response. Yeah. Any way that after the show you could explain to me how Twitter threads work? Yeah. I don't fully understand. You just that. hit write, and then you hit add another tweet and keep going. I'll show you. Thank you. All right, tell me the tweet. Okay. So I was told by a pastor that my, not Danny, um, <laughs> that my doubts slash deconstruction is, quote, a slap in the face to Jesus who died for me. And Hold on, sorry. Rough. Real quick. Is this a tweet? This is to you? No, I'm, this is my tweet. Oh. And then I'm going to read the response. Perfect. Okay, sorry. sorry. Um, okay, I'm starting over. <laughs> <laughs> I was told by a pastor that my doubts and deconstruction is a slap in the face to Jesus who died for me. And those words haunt me and hurt me so deeply. If this is a true statement, then Gideon, Abraham, many of the Psalms, Thomas, and so many more are slaps in the face of Jesus. But the God I see in scripture is one patient with us and staying with us amidst all our questions. I just really don't think God is that easily offended by our questions. Jesus himself cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he sits at the right hand of the Father. This is where it gets sassy. In conclusion, <laughs> in conclusion, please don't say shit like that to people and don't pretend that you know God's reaction to people's journeys. Period. Like pretty good wrap up. Took a pretty hard turn there in the last couple of characters. Uh, I said what I said. <laughs> and then this pastor who I like have briefly met responded. It was good. It was just there's one line that I want to kind of unpack. Sure. He said, I'm sorry that was said, Emily. The Psalms are ripe with expressed doubt. Thomas gets a bad rap for doubting when Jesus doesn't condemn him for it. It is possible to wrongly glory in doubt, but arrogantly not acknowledging them in yourself and dismissing others is, is probably worse. So that was like a lovely response to my just, I was just in a kind of a bad sure. mood. Um, but I know what I said. Uh, I was just sassy. Um, like, but the thing I wanted to talk about is the idea of like glorying in deconstruction or in doubting. Yeah, you mean like finding like joy in it. Is that what that means? Like, I've never heard I of think it means before. like being proud of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, what are your, what's your initial take? Are you like pro you should be proud of it or like? I, don't, I just don't, I guess to me it felt like a disunderstanding, misunderstanding, that's the real word, of. I wasn't going to correct you. <laughs> my own English teacher. Uh, <laughs> like misunderstanding of what, of the process, right? Yeah. I think sometimes. Here's what I'm realizing is that, like, I come here straight from school to record this, and I'm still in, like, you can't mess with me mode like, that I, like, put on as a teacher. Yeah. So that's why I come off a little intense. I bet you that those listening or watching can tell when school started just by the tone of the episodes that we were Do you really think that? I think so. Yeah. No, yeah. Because um, yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not talking. <laughs> that's what I say when I do it. I'm so 
sorry. <laughs> um, like, I don't think talking about it is the same as enjoying it or being pr- proud of it. Like, being vocal is different than glorying in it. And I felt like that guy equated them as the same. It felt low-key passive-aggressive because I'm very open about midi construction. Yeah. I think there is an interesting connection between, especially people that are anti-deconstruction, mm-hmm. seeing, talking about it as being proud or brash or prideful or goring. And I just listened to our episode with Tim uh, from the New Evangelicals. It just came out, as we're recording this, just came out like a few days ago. And that was one of the things that I thought was really interesting. And in that episode was he's kind of wrestling with that a little bit too. It's like people, like if you remember in our conversation, like he left his church because they were like, you can have these thoughts, but you can't really talk yeah. out loud. And I think that's where the heart of that frustration comes from. It's like, if you're talking about it too much, you're finding joy in it. You're finding goodness out of it. Like we've talked a lot about it being a process of discipleship. Like I think all of those things tied together is what makes people say like, just don't, don't be too positive as you talk about it because mm-hmm. there is a like, I would even say in the evangelical church, like growing up, there was a lot of like, let's talk about doubts, but again, it was like talking about it to be like, God is the same at the like it, the doubt was my issue if that makes sense, right? And so like God met me in it and changed my mind out of doubt. And this conversation of deconstruction is like maybe what I've been told is a lie, and that's mm-hmm. pretty destructive to that tribe's thought (laughs) yeah so i get i mean i totally agree with you i think right i think often the church says like you can doubt but on a leash you can doubt Mm -hmm. as much as we're comfortable with and if you pull away from the leash like then screw you yeah i don't even think the church cares if you doubt like yeah i've been thinking a lot about that like in terms of like i had lots of questions and it was never i was never really shamed for doubting I was shamed for coming to a different conclusion on the other end of my doubt. That's a that's a TikTok right there. That was <laughs> phenomenal. That was so good. Okay. I just need to say that. What was also good was your self-editing of that <laughs> long you're ready to drop. Why did you have to call me out? <laughs> um, you should have just said it. Um, um, but I think that that's true though, right? Like I think that it's the fear is not about it maybe it's about the process, but the biggest fear is I doubt that uh, God was against homosexuality. Mm. And if mm. I end the doubt being like, well, you know, God actually was. So, but if I am the other side, I'm like, well, it sounds like he probably wasn't. Then I've created disunity and division and all that within the body that I was a part of. Well, it's what we said in a few episodes ago of like being allowed to wrestle with your emotion, but you have to stay with what they would consider orthodoxy. Yeah. Yeah. Orthodoxy is a really interesting thing to me. Like I think about this all the time and I think it's, I just have no, it doesn't give me any excitement to like, or excitement is maybe the wrong word, but the idea of orthodoxy, because I think it's pretty manufactured, um, has never been something that has been that crazy important. Even as like we had our a week from today, or a week ago from today, we did a class on the Bible mm-hmm. at the well, and that was one of the things, I maybe said it briefly going over it, but like the idea of what we have considered to be orthodox is still relatively modern in the sense of like what we know as Christians, but we've been like, well, this has been what it's been forever. And I think that's such an interesting topic. 
And I, something that I don't think like first century Christians were like talking about what was orthodox and not orthodox. Dang. I mean, I think you're right. But also like I was told as I started this process, actually, I was especially told when I started going to the well classic, like from pastors, <laughs> you are not submitting yourself to orthodoxy in church history. Yeah. Well, that opens up another dip, like, like, a dip, like what, who or what are we submitting to? And that's one of the things I think is interesting about the evangelical church is you're submitting to the Bible and orthodoxy. And I would say you're not submitting as much to Jesus. Very unfair statement to evangelicals as a whole. So I'm like, I'm, Maybe. I'm pigeonholing a, a section of them because I would classify myself in that. So my greatest progressive friends would classify themselves as that. But I'm saying like pretty conservative evangelicalism. The thing you're submitting to is the Bible and John Calvin and a lot less of Jesus. The real JC. The real JC. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was good. Um, no, yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's it, right? Is Because the question isn't really, are you submitting yourself to orthodoxy? It's, are you submitting yourself to how we interpret the Bible and interpret orthodoxy? Yeah. And, how, and what we've chosen to keep and what we've not chosen. You can say all day, we do it just like the early church. But I remember the moment that I came to the well, which is a more progressive space, I've, it felt so much like the early church because we were meeting in a space, like in a common space. Yeah. And we were just wrestling with like the claims of Jesus. And yeah. no one was speaking with like that much like this is exactly what it is. Yeah. And I was I felt so free and able to actually engage with Jesus that way. But I want to bring it a little bit back around, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, do you think it is possible to wrongfully glory in deconstruction? Yeah, I think you can. Well, I think you can boast in anything. I think that you can make it a a prideful thing. I, so I just ran into this guy today at uh, Course Coffee. It's in um, in Frenchtown, and actually, I think he listens to the podcast. So if you listen, you know I'm talking about you. Uh, but he's a guy that I've met at different coffee shops around like kind of former church planter. He said today he's more esoteric in his beliefs. Uh, and he, so he's not like, I don't know that he's super into Jesus, but he's spiritual-ish. Follows us on TikTok, all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that he was saying is like the people that were like leading the deconstruction voices on TikTok and what he's seeing are people that are kind of glorying in that in a negative way in the sense that like they were assholes as evangelicals and now they're assholes as deconstructionists. And so I do think like they just switched to the bad guy was. And I think, so I do think you can Whoa. have a wrong lens in how you go about it. Um, and please write into the show if I just misquoted you wrong on this, but, <laughs> but, but I like that's what I was like, man, that's like really interesting. And I use Tim as a great example of an evangelical who's not doing that. Like mm. I think Tim's like really comes at it from a really, really sweet hearted place and he's challenging and he pushes but he like he was really wholeheartedly bought into the church as an evangelical and now he's like i want to do something new with this i don't want to throw it all away but i see people that are like well i'm atheist agnostic i'm whatever i've left all this and they're deconstructing but really they just what they thought was the good guy became the bad guy and they switched teams and now they're fully attacking the other thing and so that's where i think like deconstruction can go way too far is you're just like swapping teams and swapping bad guys I mean, I think that's fascinating, and I think that's exactly what the work of healing often is. I have on this podcast said that I would rather vilify people 
than act like that is a real temptation that happens in deconstruction and in any processing of your story, in my opinion. Yeah. So like I'm not saying they're the like those people who have switched sides. I think you're right. I think that's a fair analysis. But it it's kind of natural, right? I think it goes back to why we need a deconstructing community. I think yeah. we need people to like call us out in our BS and be like, okay, hey, but you're doing to them what you feel like they did to you. However, I also heard this very interesting conversation uh, where these people were talking about deconstruction and they were saying, you asked us to be all in to this. Why would you think that that part of our personality that we grew into of being all in would change? You want us to be one foot in and one foot out now that we're deconstructing, but you did not want us to be one foot in, one foot out when we were in the church and believing. Mm. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, I think the whole, and we've said this before, and so I, but I don't think it's beating a dead horse. Like I think this is a pendulum swing, and there's more movement happening than exodus, and there's shifting mm. happening, and I see important things happening. Um, but I think it's hard when you witness the thing that you care really deeply about. And so you, as a pastor in an evangelical space, you see your people leaving, and you see them what looks like gloating maybe because they're like they're in a different space they're glorying and they're taking pride or whatever that and you said this you want to talk about this and we haven't talked about this but you talked about the stages of grief and deconstruction maybe we'll talk about that in the later episode but i think they're having stages of grief of watching the thing that they care about be pulled apart and so the pastor the pastor and Mm. i think like but this is the easy part of this conversation is we often sit on the side of those on the other like we're on one side of the fence And what's interesting and important to do is realize, like, even if we disagree, they're processing real-time emotions and having real-time grief and real-time pain about the thing they love that's being deconstructed. And so Uh, that's just interesting. Well, yeah. I will actually, I wonder how you feel this way as a pastor, because I one time was talking to uh, some friends of mine who, um, he's a pastor and, like, he has a wife, so I was talking about them. But uh, (laughs) I don't know. Um, But I remember she said she was like, it is impossible not to take someone leaving our church personally because that is our life's work. Mm. She was like, so no, no, I can't stay friends with you. Or I. Oh, well. I mean, I feel like that was kind of intense, but like I never heard of that explanation. Yeah, I wouldn't take it as far as I can't be friends with you. Like I've had friends that have left churches I've been a part of that I'm still friends with. Mm -hmm. Um. But it's it's it is hard to not take it personally. Like mm. my wife and I talk about this a lot in the sense that like it's God doing work through the church and through us. But we're humans and there's pride and there's arrogance. And so when you see someone stop coming or someone say something hurtful or something like about the church or about you, like it's hard not to internalize that as mm. a you thing. And so you look at a evangelical pastor and watching not just people that are faceless people leaving, but people like you that were like the highest the golden version, child. the golden child, right? Of, of that, um, that tribe. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, you're, you leaving is a hard hit. And so yeah. it's like, and, and I do as someone that's not generally or naturally empathetic, mm-hmm. it's important for me to like, think about like, man, there's a lot of emotions that are happening on the other side of this for other people. To be honest, I've never thought about those emotions and it's really helpful for you to point them out because sometimes I can get very annoyed and just feel judged from people on that side Yeah, who are like, because when when you hear that people are talking about you and saying like, 
sending prayers for her, so worried about her. I'm like, yeah, like it's not, it's hard for me to think, well, they're probably having some mixed emotions too. And also, like you said, you have plenty of pastor friends who want to deconstruct and don't feel comfortable. That could be playing into this of like, they did something that I don't feel like I can or, or not. Yeah, I do think there's some level of like, and this is for not just pastors, but for your friends probably, and Mm. for my friends that are pastors, and like there might be a level of envy in the sense that it's like I don't feel allowed to do this. Um, And I'll say, putting myself in a, I feel a lot more freedom being the lead pastor of the Mm. well than I did as the associate pastor at the last two churches I was at. Like I feel like, and there's some level of like I just know that if I say something that's out of bounds the only person that can be pulled under is me. You know what I mean? Like wow. um, they're going to come to me about it and not my supervisor. And so I feel more accountability, but also ownership of my words and my thoughts and my actions. Um, and I think there's people that are in spaces as whether they're clergy or they're lay people that are like, there's maybe jealousy is the wrong word. Cause it comes across wrong, Yeah. but there's like, man, I just want the freedom to do that. And they don't feel that freedom. Maybe curiosity. Yeah. Maybe something like that. Like, I mean, I've had, at first, I very much was not vocal about it in starting this podcast and starting to be more vocal about my deconstruction and my doubts. Yeah. Like, I've had a lot of messages from people saying, like, I can't believe you have the guts to post this or I like or say this. I would never do that. Yeah. And it, that's fine. Like, not everyone has to do that. It You totally open yourself up for um, that. Well, for as many positive things as you got, which probably give you a lot of life, you've had seasons of getting pretty hard hate for this, too. So it's like... <laughs> So it's not like it's all roses and unicorns. I mean, like the like the tweet I read, like yeah. I that line that you your deconstruction is a slap in the face to Jesus who died for you was in a 15 minute voicemail where where like he can sit he was just quoting Bible verse after Bible verse about how I was doing the wrong thing. Like that is freaking brutal. Yeah. Yeah. But sure, I guess I opened myself up to that because I was open or yeah. public about it. Yeah. That's so interesting. But it's, I think that's bad. Like, I've tried to be pretty empathetic thus far. I would say that's bad theology, though, to be like, that's a slap in the face. Let to Jesus. I think like, that's a we horrible even, like, thing to say. We haven't even that. I think that is a, such a horrible thing to say. Yeah. Oh, that's wild to me. Um, But so, but that's kind of speaking about like, We've kind of hit a bunch of topics, and I've been loving this convo. Yeah. But uh, to go into maybe the theme of today's episode it, and talking about this voicemail I got that had a lot, like it was just Bible passage after Bible passage after Bible passage. I didn't think you could leave a 15-minute voicemail. Oh, you can. I experienced it. <laughs> um, I actually had to delete it because I kept listening to it, and that wasn't healthy. Yeah. Um, when, how long ago did you delete it? A month ago. I bet you it's still on there. You on can, my, you can undelete it if you want. I think really, I think you're. Is it recently voice, deleted? I think that they stick around for a little bit. I haven't we listened it. to it now. No, just... <laughs> that's fine. Um, woof. Uh, so, but I actually want to bring up the Bible again. And actually, I was processing this in the car, and I was like, I know we already had an episode about the Bible, but I actually think that doing another episode about a similar topic and having new and different ideas is part of deconstruction, right? Sure. It's that it's that you continue to progress and evolve what you think about something. So something that I said mm, in May is different than like how I feel now in October. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. So 
chill out if you're mad. I don't know. That's my <laughs> way. Um, so <laughs> we had essays that I in my class. Yeah. I teach English class. And one person's in one kid's intro was, by the way, this is all I'm going to say. And if you don't like it, don't tell me because I really don't care. Okay, let's get into it. Like <laughs> it was that. amazing intro. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, so I we were talking about the Bible the other week at That's some well event. Yeah. Uh, I, that, it sounds like it was a secret event. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was. Um, <laughs> but... It wasn't. It happens quarterly. You yeah, can email me if I'm you want kidding. to sign up. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and we were talking about the Bible and someone said something really interesting. And they said, it's hard for me to enter back into a relationship with the Bible because it was something used to harm me for so long, which is something I said in our last episode about the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and the analogy that came to my mind is if like someone had only ever used a fork as a weapon, like only ever used to stab you. I do know someone who was stabbed with a fork. Do you? Um, no. I did use a fork to just the other night to pop a pussy lump on my daughter's finger. Rough. Uh, and she may be traumatized with forks now. Who knows? She gets it. Uh, <laughs> she gets it. <laughs> um, no, so it's like, so let's say it's been something that you've only ever experienced as a weapon. Yeah. And then someone comes to you and says, no, this is supposed to feed you. Well, that would be scary. I don't want it near my mouth. Like, I don't want to consume it, something that's harmed me for so long. It's hard. It is so, so hard to recontextualize something that was weaponized against you. Yeah. And I think that is part of the struggle of the Bible. Yeah. Well, and the person that was in that conversation with us, like the Bible has been used as a huge weapon against her and her community and her fiance. Like it's just so much about. As the LGBTQ community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like that's a thing that we can just thump all day long, especially people in my seat where it's like the Bible is rarely weaponized against me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, but I know it's bad. Or I know it's been used this way, but it's good. And I even caught myself that night. Like, it was actually really insightful for me because I continually tried to point back to, and I saw other people in the room do the same thing. Like, I know it's been harmful, but it's good. I know it's been harmful, but it's good. And the reality is, like, until you experience not just that thing being good, but people around you showing you the goodness of it, living into the goodness of it, like, there needs to be a lot of work done to reclaim that as a tool of good and not harm been weaponized or just been maybe that's too intense of a word i don't think it's always too intense of a word well, it's the reason like but... the well meets in a brewery because mm. there's church like a church building is triggering to people yeah. and i think like i go back and forth on like that whole like how much do we accommodate accommodate that yeah and that sounds very harsh and not caring but how much do we like accommodate that and how much do we just say like, this is what it is. But the reality is it's like, not everything can be everything to everyone, but you can actively try to create the safest space possible. And like those things, I don't think have to be mutually exclusive. So, but think about how interesting that is though. It's like, we don't meet in a church building, but we are still diving into scripture. And so there's, it's like, uh, um, this is a weird analogy, but it's low key kind of like exposure therapy. Like, 
I don't I don't think it's not that manipulative, but what I'm saying is like it's easing back into yeah. it. There's been tons of people that are not church people that have come off the Katy Trail biking, have come in and been like, oh, like they're having church. They stopped in and they're like, I'm going to stick around for a little bit. And they stick around mm-hmm. and they come up to me afterwards and like, that was really, really wonderful. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but I'm not a church person. But you have to create a space. And I said this very early on. Like you have to create a space where people can accidentally go to church. And I don't mean that in a manipulative way, but where they can experience the goodness of God in a place they didn't imagine that ever happened. And can I say, I would call that orthodoxy because you know what? That is what Jesus and his disciples were doing. And after Jesus was dead, that's what they were doing. I'm sure there were people that were like, what are you guys talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's adorable. It's adorable. So, but I actually had an interesting conversation about the Bible with someone that I want to hear your take on because I actually think that you might, we might disagree on this. Yeah. <laughs> I love that we work so hard at this. We work hard. But uh, not hard enough. I was saying, I was like, basically, I was telling him, I was like, it's hard because in a lot of ways, I'm really longing to be comforted by God and his word and all these things, but there's also a lot of anger and frustration right now. And it's hard to hold those both to really long for comfort and feel a distance Mm. because of wrestling. And, and I was like, so what, what is left to comfort me? Like, that's what I asked. It was a very intense conversation, but, uh, and he said, he goes, he said art. And I was like, huh? He goes, you learning to engage the Bible the way you did is probably why you're an English teacher. And I was like, you're probably right. Like you learn. He goes, what did you love about the Bible when you loved it? I was like, that it created conversation and create. And he was like, yeah, that's what you do all day in your classroom, which was so adorable. But like, also he was like, the Bible was the example to you of taking great literature or any sort of art and finding comfort and finding your own story in it. And so even if the Bible isn't safe anymore, you can still find comfort in your story in art. Interesting. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, complete failure about trying to fight. I don't like, I think I agree with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I, I guess I thought you would be like, that's kind of dumb. <laughs> like, I, Sweet. <laughs> you're, I thought you would kind of be like, that's kind of dumb. Like you, like you still need to, you know, engage the Bible. Yeah, I, that's not how I think of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I so I. I think that's definitely think, what Dustin's thinking. <laughs> I think that's right. I do think you should engage Scripture. Yeah, I think that that is all true. But I mean, like, if God is in every part of creation, mm-hmm. and we're created in God's image, and the rocks cry out, and art is something we create, right? That is, we're created in the image of God, so we're creating as God created, like. I think there's no limit to how we can engage the creator of the universe. And the Bible is, I think, a really helpful tool. But, like, there are people that will never read the Bible, but equally know Hmm. the goodness of Mm. God. They maybe don't know, like, the story of Jesus the way I know it, but I think they know the goodness of God. You are on fire today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. Oh, my gosh. Zinger after zinger. Like, yes. And I think, and maybe that's it, right? Is maybe entering back into the Bible means starting to engage it first as art. Because again, that's the other hard thing. Imagine if someone showed you a painting and said, this is the word of God and it is inherent. You would be like, what? Yeah. Well, you've said that before. And also like, I do think that's part of the issue is like, 
is depending on your tribe, you're told to <laughs> you're told to engage the Bible as a textbook, not as a narrative story or a piece of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's right. So, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I really not like... trying to make any weird jokes. So. <laughs> no one gets it but us. <laughs> uh, we're gonna keep it that way. Sure. Um. Well. I don't really know how long this has been. We've kind of been all over the place. Sure. But I think we had some good points. Not yeah. to tune our own horn. <laughs> to tune our own. Well, I think part of the the conversation around this, and we have had a lot of different things, like kind of looking back and thinking back, but like the to core. 20 minutes ago. Yeah. The core yeah. of what we're talking about is I think the agility and the expansiveness of God, like almost everything that you've talked about has been someone trying to put God in a smaller box than God was designed to be put in. And I think you're like, hey, man, like God is bigger than all of those things. And I think for those, wherever they're at in deconstruction, there's probably been a point where someone said, God fits in this box. And that's Mm. created some frustration or pain. And I think the truth is God's bigger than that box and that God is going to engage you. If your pain is the Bible, God's going to find other ways to engage you. If your pain is the church, God's going to find other ways to engage you. I think that's a truth that we're not often told, especially by the really conservative church is like, God can only engage you through these mechanisms and vehicles. And the truth is if God wants to engage you, God's going to engage you. And the truth is that God wants to be in a relationship with all of us. So God's going to find a way to do that. Incredible synthesis of putting that all together. Like I had a friend tell me one time, Emily, if you're flip, if you're flipping over rocks, um, mm-hmm. looking for truth, you're never going to find something bigger than God. So you don't have to be afraid to keep flipping over rocks. Yeah. And that's it, right? Like we we do not have to be afraid of going outside the box because God is outside the box. Yeah. That's right. I love that. Love that. Well, this has been fun. Yeah, kind of all over the place, but I'm kind of about sometimes it. Sometimes I like these episodes. Like I got a, a message from a friend just yesterday. Like he called me, he got a new phone number um, and called me to kind what of- What is it? Um, 555. <laughs> uh, called me and- I had no idea listening to the podcast and was mm-hmm. just really uh, so shout out to you, like very, very encouraged by a lot of your story and feels very connected mm-hmm. to your story. Um, but sometimes I think like when we have more kind of theology out loud conversations or it's more agile than it is pre-planned, even if it seems a little more haphazard or hops around, like I think there's a lot of goodness that happens in those conversations because I think it maybe follows the mental flow of a lot of people listening. And it follows the trajectory of deconstruction. It's mm. very haphazard. It is, but it's good. This is like a microcosm yeah. of deconstruction. Should we name our podcast that? The microcosm. Of deconstruction. Very long title. Yeah. I would just call it the microcosm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, I'm going to end us. Is that cool? Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> Um, hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, you don't have to fit God in a box and embrace the journey.